Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. All right, we're all going to put on our listening ears and this is going to be a story that you're going to listen to and you're going to think, why is Bonnie Meyer, who is the co-founder of a Napa Valley winery called Silver Oak Cellars on the Sidewalk Talk podcast, I'll tell you why. Her story is one of the most unique and profound love stories I've ever heard. She was nagged by her friends for years after her husband passed away to write a book about it called Perfectly Paired, and it tells the story behind not only the making of Napa Valley's most iconic Cabernets, but she has a very unique story. Gosh, I tease you a little bit. She, she married a monk. And this is really a conversation about a journey of friendship that evolved into a love affair after trying for many years to not have it be a love affair. What I really admire about listening to Bonnie speak, however, is that she's a very spiritually evolved person who is very active in her community. And I want you to also see if you can hear her heart when you hear her story. So let's just sink in and, and hear this, this beautiful love affair and practice listening. Bonnie Meyer from my old neck of the woods in California. Thank you for joining us today. It is a pleasure to be with you uh, today, Tracy. So you're a kind of a different character for us to have on. And I told you beforehand, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad to hear your story and not have for a change somebody that's going to tell us about psychological theory <laughs> on our <laughs> podcast. But you've got this beautiful story of connection. And I think that in, in really being a participant in your life experience, will help us all drop in to connect more deeply. So tell us a little bit about you and, and how you were compelled to write this amazing book called Perfectly Paired. I had been encouraged for decades to write the story of my love affair with my husband. And primarily people wanted to know the intimate juicy details of how we fell in love because he was a monk at the time. He was a monk. And he was a monk. And everyone wants to hear the story about them, how the monk leapt over the wall and married a, a, a young woman. Uh, so that's the story that people wanted to hear. And there's no reason for me to want to tell that story. But finally, I realized, ultimately, I realized that I could tell, talk about things I really cared about uh, within the context of that alluring story. 
So you have to bring us in a little bit. Don't give away, don't give away the whole story, but you're being a little cagey here because clearly. So there's this man named Justin who I assume at some point was Monk Justin. He was Brother Justin, yeah. Brother Justin. Uh-huh. Uh, how did you land Brother Justin? Like, how does this happen? <laughs> well, the, the story of how we met is the, the first month or so that I was at UC Davis. I was invited by a new friend to a professor's house to celebrate someone's birthday. And that someone was Brother Justin. And I played the guitar. He played the banjo. And that evening, we ended up playing guitar and banjo together and singing folk songs for hours at the end of dinner. And that musical friendship lasted a lifetime. Uh, but it also, it was, um, it, it's why we kept coming together. And, and at some point, uh, a number of months after that initial meeting, we realized we were in love with each other. But being that that was, um, that's not part of how, how monks live in the monastery, we knew that we couldn't be together. So five years passed. Uh, lots of emotional ups and downs, and but not being able to uh, fall out of love or and or find someone else to love. I uh, Justin ultimately decided to uh, leave the monastery, and we were we were married a few months after that. Wow! Uh, <laughs> so, um, but you know, it's interesting. Different than most relationships. Uh, most we in most dating circumstances you're you're flirting with the other person and you're wanting to create romance in our case we actually tried very hard to not to yeah yeah and i think it it created the strong basis for friendship and authenticity that served us well wow one of the other reasons that people have asked me to share stories is because most of our friends would say that we had an extraordinary relationship and what I would like most and what I attempted to do in in Perfectly Paired was to describe our relationship in a way that others could find themselves in there because everyone uh, deserves to have an extraordinary relationship. Yeah, I'm feeling so much just hearing hearing you. I can feel him when you talk about him right now. Just kind of this quiet, steady bond that you two had, which is so opposite of what we do now in our culture, right? And I'm also making the connection now. I don't know why I didn't beforehand perfectly paired the two of you. And then you're also, you have a long history of being a winemaker. So how does that weave into your story? Well, as it turns out, Brother Justin was was being trained to be the president of Christian Brothers Winery in the 19, late 1960s. And he was at Davis there to uh, gain more technical knowledge. And at Christian Brothers, it was one of the largest wineries in the United States at the time. And they made 40 different wines. And that was frustrating to him. Uh, they made brandy and dessert wines and still wines. 
Uh, and he knew that he couldn't just focus on doing what he loved or what he thought was the best. So he had this idea that what he would really love doing is just creating the best Cabernet that he could because it was where, where we were, where uh, Napa Valley and Alexander Valley is just is the perfect place for that grape. And then when he left the Christian Brothers, he wanted to stay actually, but they, they, it wasn't in their paradigm to have a non-religious be the leader, the president of the winery. So the same week, week we were married, uh, we started a winery, uh, Silver Oak Cellars. And um, the important thing about a relationship in that, in that business is we brought our, our love for each other. We brought our very strong values into that. And I really believe that, that our love truly infused, kind of magically infused the wine uh, with, with our love for each other. And that also infused our company culture where uh, people would spontaneously say the best thing about working at Silver Oak is that we were a family. And um, so it was just a, a wonderful place for us and for everyone else to, to be and play together for 30 some years. Wow. So you've really led a connected life, really. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's like, without never, saying. <laughs> I guess I never actually uh, thought about it that way, but very definitely. Justin, Justin and I loved uh, working together, and we felt very connected with the people that we worked with, connected to our customers and our, um, the people that supplied what we needed. And that's what life is about is um, actually Brene Brown would say that, that human beings are wired for connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we certainly are. You're speaking our language, Bonnie. You're speaking our <laughs> language. Well, so as I listen to you, there's such a grounded quality to your story. And I keep, I keep imagining you and Justin with your hands in the soil. And I think I, I shared with you a picture. I live literally surrounded by vineyards now where I am in Germany. And there is something that feels also connecting about being sort of close to the earth. And do you, I get that you and Justin infused your love into your company and your wine. Do you feel like you, you sort of were fed back from being so close to the land too? Was that part of it for you guys? (laughs) Do you know that we in common kind of spiritual parlance, people talk about being grounded. Mm Mm-hmm. You literally, when I walk through the vineyard, which I live in the middle of vineyard too, uh, it is grounding. And, and you can't argue with nature. You, you just know, you feel it in your bones that you can't argue with the weather. It makes no sense to complain about the weather. Um, you get to see, I get to see the miracle of life. Uh, I was walking in the vineyard yesterday. and the vines at this time of year will sometimes grow six inches in a week. Every shoot will grow six inches. And they go from looking like a, like a rose bush, which we know that we prune severely. We do the same thing with grapes. And just burst into life. 
and it's a it's a miracle I never get tired of. Yeah, I can really I can really experience. I, I'm with you on that because I'm having my first experience of springtime here, so I really get that. Mm. So, as so, how long did you and Justin sort of lead this company? How long was this part of part of what you connected around? And how the heck do you maintain a good relationship while you're running a business with someone? <laughs> Well, our first um, dis- discussion and decision to work together was one one day after we had been married, maybe a, a year or two, I said to Justin, you know, I think I'm going to get a job at a local bank. And he, and he looked at me with this incredulous look, why do you do that? And the answer was, I just, I wanted something creative besides what I was what I was doing at home and he says if you want to work come help me and one of the things that we noticed is every night when he would come home we play 20 questions and I would ask him what he had been doing that day and all the details of what was going on and one of the great things about working together is we didn't have to play 20 questions anymore we were there together and what we did discuss, we did discuss business probably too much. Every now and then we'd have to make an agreement when we'd go out to dinner together and have a date night. We'd have to have an agreement not to talk about business. But what we did get to discuss was, um, you know, just to talk over uh, strategies or to talk over an employee that that um, needed some help or... Uh, th- and things like that. We got to kind of work quietly, work out problems together, in uh, at, at home from time to time, and that was, and and really good for us. That we were supporting each other uh, while we were doing that. Now, in the book, there is a chapter that that says is titled um, "I Quit." you're normal thank god there there were a couple times. I just had had it, and I said, "All right, I quit." And it only lasted about a week, and then I'd show up uh, back at the winery, and and Justin would say, "So I thought you quit," and I said, "Yeah, well, I'm back." <laughs> that's that's great. Well, I love that you can laugh about it now. I bet it wasn't such a laughing matter in the moment. I, you know. If somebody who has more experience than I do, how the heck did you sustain yourself in those moments? Like, what was it that brought you back? Or what was it that you each had to say to each other to kind of come back into alignment so that you weren't mad? Well, you know, Justin and I rarely were mad, actually, ever at each other. Um, We both, I think we were both either learned or were blessed with that. an attitude that we didn't take ourselves too seriously. And um, we really didn't stay mad for more than, I don't know, a few hours. So when I, what drew, drew me back was I loved working with him and I loved working at the winery and I loved all the creativity and the projects that I was involved in. Uh, and, um, and what did we need to talk about? Nothing. I just showed up. <laughs> it was just a decision I mean, to return. I mean, literally, yeah, literally, you know, what I just shared was, you know, he'd say, oh, I thought you quit. 
yeah, well, I'm back. That was it. That's, that was the sum total of the conversation. Yeah. Every now and then, you know, the, the quitting had, had, was related to something I, you know, when you've, you've got, he was the president of the winery, the leader, and, and everyone there um, would do exactly what he told them to do, except me. <laughs> and, and, um, but uh, every now and then he'd bring that home and, mm. and, I, and we would have to have a conversation about it. That, that I know it works at the winery, but it doesn't work here. Mm-hmm. And he would, um, he would just take a deep breath and go, oh yeah. You know what I'm thinking about? I bet that that helped him be a better leader too, though, that he had to learn to share power with you. So I, I wonder if it made him more collaborative as well with everyone else, just because you guys had to figure out how to do it. Uh, I know that it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Another thing that we decided earlier on in our business is that we realized, we looked at each other one day and we, and we go, we're spending most of our day at work, um, not at home. So let's make it as fun as possible. I love that. And we, and we did. Fun was a very high value in our company, mm-hmm. in our culture. And that made for a good life. I mean, as long as you're going to be spending, uh, you know, a, a good part of your life doing what you're doing, you might as well have a great time doing it and, mm-hmm. and have that, whatever it is, be a productive, fruitful, joyous part of your life. You know, as I weave together the, your story so far, there's, there is something very, there's this combination of an incredible amount of hearty intentionality, but surrender at the same time to what you can't control. And it, it just sounds peaceful as you talk about it. And I mean, I get that it's not because you've, you know, doing any anything relative to the land and farming and is hard it's hard work it's physical labor too um but but there's just this quality of intentionality and surrender that your story has in it am i getting that right does did it feel that way to you uh absolutely you know an important part brene brown she's one of my favorites (laughs) also talks a lot about ours too just so you know (laughs) uh vulnerability is really a key to living a good life Mm. at her research showed and vulnerability and surrender are an important key to having those deep relationships those Mm -hmm. deep passionate loving intimate relationships that we all long for yeah yeah well, so there's, I used to. I'm no, sorry. oh, I love that the story's coming. Please let it be birthed. I used, to, I, I used to tell, I used to tell Justin I'd never would have married him if he hadn't been a monk for fifteen years first. <laughs> because he, because all of his bad habits were trained out of him, or what? No, I think it, it, it really did soften him. He was, he grew up in kind of a rough neighborhood, mm. and with alcoholic parents, and. And I think those years of meditation and contemplation made a huge difference. Mm. And, uh, and he brought that, we brought that uh, together into our relationship and our life and our work life. Oh, I'm glad you said a little bit about that backstory before he became a monk, because it, it does sort of shed some light on how 
his process of softening gave you greater access to his heart and your relationship that he, you might yeah. not otherwise have had. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's beautiful. So here's the hard part of the story, though. You've got this, this life that's, that feels like a fairy tale, but, but it didn't quite, it hasn't quite ended in maybe the way you had imagined. So, so where are things now? What's true about your life now? So um, after 30 years, almost 30 years of marriage, Justin died suddenly of a heart attack. And so one moment he was there with me and the next moment he wasn't. And that uh, was, that, that of course changed everything in my life. Yeah. Uh, I went through actually a, a very long process of, of deep grief. Um, but through that process, the, well, a couple of things. I, I learned that, that, that grief, when you really dive into it, when I really dove into it, uh, is transformative and alchemical. It, it can um, bring, bring you into a whole nother new um, understanding of life and relationship with myself. I can and imagine people want, that are in grief right now want to hear that, but did you feel it at the time, what you're saying now? <laughs> what I felt at the time was that if I allowed myself to really dive into it, I was afraid that I would uh, fall apart and never be, be put myself back together. Mm. So I actually avoided it for a, a long time. And I had lots of to-dos to do. Um, so, so grief was not something that I easily or readily embraced. It wasn't on your um, to-do list. It was, uh, but it was in the, in the process and over a long period of time that I finally understood the gifts of grief and how mm. profound they are. Um, the other thing that I found along the way, actually almost right away, and Justin, again, being, having, having a very strong spiritual um, orientation, and I'm not certain that that's what's required, but the night, the night after he died, the day after he died, I was sitting with my daughter and a pebble flew across the room and landed at my feet. Wow. And we both looked down at the pebble. We looked at each other. We looked down at the pebble about three times. We, hmm. we did that. And then she finally quietly said, hi, daddy. Hmm. And we, we just, there was, we just realized that, that was him saying hello. Hmm. And, the next day, um, something really hilarious happened where he, he started taking over the stupid hairdryer that was hanging on the wall that you would take the nozzle off to work and you would put mm -hmm. the nozzle back on. And it completely broke in the sense that it started going on and off of its own accord. And what, <laughs> yeah. It, it, and, and let me and, guess, let me guess, Justin had no hair when he passed away. He had no hair, no. He, yeah. Even better. <laughs> and, but very quickly, my a friend who was staying with us at the time realized that the more uh, upset and, and um, kind of desperate feeling that I, that I was feeling, the louder the hairdryer got. And then the more calmed down I got, the quieter the hairdryer got and it would stop. And, and so clearly 
it was Justin saying, hey, I'm here. It's okay. You're fine. You're, you're going to be okay. I'm here with you. And then after that, I started having some lucid dreams of him and being so comforted uh, by those and wanting more. Uh, I eventually learned how to meditate in a way that I could connect with him. So, so that 30 years we were together in marriage, it's going on 18, almost 20 years since he's been gone. And our connection is still very alive and well. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, I just got to say that in this time that we're in, I've had people reach out to me that have had unexpected losses. And I think it's such a beautiful offering to all of us to kind of not only hear that there's an upside at the end, that you've had this alchemical process you've gone through, but that there is fear in the middle of it. Like, can I really face this? And I'm just curious, what did help you get through it when you finally decided to turn towards it? What was it that you needed to do to sustain yourself and really gleaning the, the gems that you needed to, to get? And aside from, from Justin coming and having this connection to him, how else did you support yourself? I, one of the things, there, there are many. Uh, one was a, a wonderful girlfriend that said, uh, call me anytime, day or night, and I did. Um, that was one of the, the greatest gifts that I was given at that time. Another was I started going to a place called the Center for Attitudinal Healing. You may be familiar with it, Tracy. It's yep. in uh, mm-hmm. Tiburon. Yep. And, and uh, my friend Jerry Jampolsky actually created something that's similar to what you have created with Sidewalk Talk. He realized that ordinary people uh, could be helpful with each other and supportive with each other and created these community support groups. I, I went to love the, that. Uh, I'm so, yeah, I went to the spousal bereavement group for a while and that was really helpful. And, and then later on I became very close friends with Sherry. And uh, the power of attitude um, and knowing that uh, and the and the connection with peace, we can choose peace at any moment. Uh, it's really uh, really helpful to me. Has been, always will be. I love that. So, how is Justin still alive in you now? Like, how how is this quality of heart and connection that the two of you created as a couple? How is it part of your life now? It's part of my life in. Let's see, uh, overt and and subtle ways. And and when I say overt, uh, what I mean is I can. I get, it feels funny to say go visit him because it's that's not exactly it. It's different than that. I can enter a meditative state and feel one with him. It's uh, it's profound and beautiful, but also on a more ordinary in the level in the middle of my day. I just think about him and open myself again. This, you know, how important vulnerability is and surrender. I just get into that state for a moment. I literally can feel him hug me from behind. 
you know, this big, he was a big bear of a man. And that, you know, where, where his just arms would come around and just hug my chest, you know, and just mm. feel so, um, yeah, supported and embraced. I think we can all feel a hug from him right now as you describe it. <laughs> <laughs> I get this playful, 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 big bear hug guy with um, a sense of humor that likes to fart around with hair dryers <laughs> <laughs> and, and play the banjo with a good with a with a cigar kind of off the out of the corner of his mouth I mean he was yeah I yeah, love that he played banjo oh yeah. it's my one of my favorite instruments actually I used to go to the bluegrass festival the strawberry music festival every year uh, so I really yeah. like it we have that in common mm-hmm. so uh what does your life look like now? I mean, you told me something before we got on that I, I just have to make room for because we're going to make a detour again. You, you um, have a connection to land and you have an involvement in regenerative farming. So right. you have yeah. some new, new kind of connections. <laughs> so not, not uh, a bear. So Tracy, so just, uh, just a, about an hour ago, um, uh, of sheep and a flock of goats arrived on my in my vineyard, and the goats are going to be cleaning up the the creek of all the weeds. They won't be allowed in the vineyard, but the sheep are there to be weed uh, weed control, and it's all part of uh, regenerative farming. You know, we're finding old ways of doing things actually are serving us better than some of our more modern ways of constantly disking the land and disturbing the soil structure so that we're finding that the that the weeds the things that we thought are weeds actually have a symbiotic relationship with the vines Mm. and help feed the roots and so we don't want to disturb the roots so much Mm. of the of even the weeds and so by having livestock uh, graze the of the rows um, they can, they, they get forage and they're kind of churning up the soil with their, with their hooves and, and uh, adding a little bit of manure as they go. And it seems to be really adding to the quality of the grapes. Who knew? I guess the guys a hundred years ago knew, but yeah, <laughs> we had to rediscover these things. Well, there is, you know, and again, I'm a newbie to this whole being around vineyards, but there is, I, I experience, experience the whole process of the land and, and you're right, the way that the vines grow so quickly. And then when I start to imagine, you know, sheep and goats, that it's a kind of a magical place, vineyards. It feels, I'm going to be a little goofy for a second, but if there, oh God, I'm going to be really goofy, but I'm going to go there. I'm going to do it. If there were a place that fairies were going to live, it would be the place that they would live. Right, because I just find that there's, I mean, even I said to my son when we were walking the other day, I said, look at it, it looks like an old man, that, that vine. It just looks like an old man bent over with his cane. And there, mm-hmm. I constantly am seeing people and personality. And, and then when I imagine sheep and goats, I'm like, oh, that just adds to the magic. Right? It's, just, <laughs> it's just a circus. <laughs> <laughs> that's my experience anyway. Maybe I, I don't know where I would have gotten it. It's not like I have the same experience, you know, living on a vineyard for 30 years, but it has this, this, this quality to it. 
I don't know how I could live someplace else at this point. My, I feel like my life, you know, I know that the, I know the light, the sounds, the smells, the seasons, um, and how the light and the smells change and the, and the way the vines look change um, in every season. Mm-hmm. And I'm so in tune with that um, that I don't know how I could live anyplace else. And I agree with you. I, I've never seen a fairy. Uh, oh, good. Yeah. I'm not as weird as I <laughs> I've never seen one. But, if, um, but some people say they truly exist. And I'm, I'm up for that. And I know that the vineyard and the, the adjacent, the riparian, so full of, of the uh, power and magic of, of life. Um, and regrowth, rebirth, yeah. um, annual rebirth, it, that this is where the fairies would live for sure. Mm. I love that, that this is where the fairies would live. Ah, well, knowing what you know about what, what we do, that our hope is to create the kind of foundational connections that would allow people to feel connected to each other, to feel connected to their families, to the earth. I mean, what have you learned over this whole experience about connecting that maybe you haven't already covered? Well, uh, I would I guess I would suggest to your listeners that when I was thinking about writing my book and, and sharing sharing my stories and perfectly paired. I believe that my story is your story and that through my stories, through hearing my stories, it gives, it can give you hope or you can feel resilience or you can feel, um, you can feel the struggle and we're, we're all the same at the end of the day. And that the stories you listen to, I'm certain in some ways, become your story, are your stories too. Mm-hmm. And in those Dutch, those sharing of stories, I think there's great potential for healing and uh, beautiful sharing of life. Mm. Mm. I appreciate you sharing your story with us, not only here today, but in writing in the written word so that we can all be a part of this, this magic that, that even Justin created and be a part of your love story. You know, it's really meaningful. And I'm glad that your friends cajoled you to uh, put, put pen to paper. <laughs> <laughs> Not something, something I ever thought it would do. <laughs> yeah. So the book, the book is called Perfectly Paired. We will put some, some links to it in our show notes. Um, are there other places that people can find out about you and the work that you're doing, Bonnie? Or are there other pieces that I missed in our conversation that we should talk about? Well, I am a, I'm, I'm an impact investor, mm-hmm. which um, now lately is called a regenerative investor. Like regenerative and farming, but just like exactly, <laughs> and 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 all it means is that I invest in in companies and projects that uh, help society and 
and uh, the earth uh, regenerate. In other words, everything and everyone is better at the end than they were before, mm. uh, which hasn't always been true of modern business. And, yeah. and um, I do have a website, uh, Meyer Family Enterprises, mfenterprises.com. Mm-hmm. We can read a, people can read a little bit about uh, what the impact investing or regenerative investing is. You know who's going to go read about that? My 12-year-old son likes to day trade, so I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> well, you know, this is the opposite of that, I'm afraid. I know. That's why I'm going to send him there. We have these conversations all the time. I'm like, hey, man, you know. So although, although he says he's going to become wealthy so that he can then give it away, I said, well... Actually, that's the old paradigm. Tell him that is like the sex- old school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of privilege wrapped up in that too that I try to inform him of. I'm like, uh. yeah. so I'm going to be yeah. sure and say, and maybe I can plant a seed with you. Actually, ooh, this would be fun. I'm planting a seed. I'm selling. It'd be so cool if you started teaching kids about that kind of stuff through your impact investing. Mm-hmm. I would, uh, I would love that. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Just, just even a that. little, little one sheet document to kids this is this this is what impact investing is and isn't yeah i'll slide you a little cash on the side to put that up there (laughs) (laughs) oh this is so fun yeah really fun yeah um if i can support you in any way you let me know and for sure if when this quarantine lifts if you want to come check out some vineyards in germany you have a friend over here yeah, thank you very much, Stacey. Yeah. yeah. All right. Be well. You too. Bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from, and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.